Hello, welcome to another episode of the Men's Wear Style Podcast. I'm your host, Pete Brooker. Today, I'm talking to John Bright, the founder of The Good Neighbor Shop. And uh, just a little bit of information before I bring John in. The Good Neighbor provides updated wardrobe staples with great fabrics that are ethically and sustainably sourced. Conscious of trends and quality, their products are designed to be worn across seasons. Starting in 2018 as Centrefront Menswear, they appeared online and in pop-up shops around London. They discovered that many neighbourhoods had more of a buzz than traditional high streets, so they had become the good neighbour. And here is John to talk about the brand in his own words. I'm John Bright, and uh, I started the brand in 2018. We actually started as with the name Centrefront Menswear um, and started online. But we found that sort of from 2019, we started doing pop-up shops and we started doing them in different neighborhoods. So it felt like the name needed to evolve um, with something that had a bit more kind of warmth and story to it. So that's where the, the name The Good Neighbor came from. Um, my, my experience is working in menswear buying. So I spent about 20 years working in different different places from Debenhams to ASOS kind of thing. Um, so that's that's sort of my background has always been within menswear. Okay, great. And so what inspired you to start this particular project? So I think sort of coming from, from a, a brand like, like ASOS, which is very kind of young, very fast fashion, um, I was realizing there was a bit of a gap in the menswear market because you've got a lot of this sort of mass-produced, not particularly well-made clothes. Um, and then you've got a lot of really nice brands like Universal Works and Folk and that kind of thing. But there's a really big jump between the price points um, within those, between that, that sort of fast fashion um, to, to those brands. And I was kind of thinking, okay, where's, where's the brands that are really well-made, made to last, sort of targeting a 30 plus demographic, um, but not charging a fortune for the, for the product. So that's sort of where the, the idea for the brand came is, is sort of something that putting a lot into the product, but charging a fair price. And as we don't, we sort of, we don't do wholesale at the moment. So we're direct to the public, which means we cut out sort of a margin that needs to be in. So I can offer, I can do the, the, the product at a fair price for what you're getting. Okay. And so when you start out with an idea like this, do you then get other designers on board or do you have a background in designing and putting the garments together yourselves? Where's the first um, stepping stone for you? It's, well, I pretty much do everything. So, <laughs> so um, I mean, I guess from, from a buying background, it's it's a lot of product development. So the the buying I did was own label. So wherever it was, so for instance, it was ASOS own label brand. So it's very much about putting the product together and working with the design team to to create the range, as opposed to sort of going out and buying an existing brand and select, which is kind of more of a selecting kind of role. So I guess I've I've got quite a bit of experience in putting product together. Um, not so much in, in physical design, but what I found is is by putting together the range, I, I do quite a bit of design within there. Um, and I think with, with menswear, you're not necessarily redesigning the wheel. Kind of a shirt is always going to be a shirt. It's more about the 
how it's going to fit, the fabric you use, the small, the sort of the small details. Um, so that I feel really confident in in doing. So I kind of, it's a, it's I would say it's a buying slash designing kind of role. But yeah, I, I do it myself. And do you then seek out factories in the UK? So every is every garment on the on the website and in the pop up stores? Are they all made in the UK? Not everything is made. So we 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 make quite a bit in Portugal, um, and then we do probably more in winter. We are able to do more stuff made in England because there's still quite decent sort of outerwear manufacture, and definitely lots of knitwear manufacture in the UK. There, there is a limit to what you can do in, in the UK at the moment. Um, I think there is a return to getting stuff made in in, in England, but but not everything that I not everything in the range could be produced here. So generally, we use Portugal, which we sort of get really good quality, great factories. They can do smaller quantities for for more independent brands. Right. So. Question for you, John. Yeah. Why is it cheaper for some brands to go to Portugal? Because I, I know, like, obviously you do have stuff made in here in the UK as well, but I know that a lot of brands uh, do have stuff made in Portugal, whether it's outerwear, knitwear, shoe companies. Do they have a cheaper labor force? Or is it, like you said, that they can do minimum runs for, you know, a, a really good price? Talk to me about that. So, so, I mean, Portugal is used by a lot of, mid i would probably say a lot of mid-sized brands um and generally brands that are sort of mid to upper level in terms of of pricing and i i think you get really good quality from portugal and one of the reasons that they've still got a really big manufacturing base is that for a long time portugal was sort of one of the poorer countries in in europe so they ended up keeping a lot of the manufacturing and it's not just clothing it's you know they're they're lots of ceramics, um, lo- lots of the sort of product you buy in plates and bowls and things of like that are still made in Portugal. Um, and towels, and there's, they, they kept quite a big manufacturing base, so they never lost that. So you've still got a lot of good factories with, with people that, that know what they're doing. Um, and, where, and then where a lot of companies moved over to, to China and India, so that your bigger bigger companies to get the better prices, Portugal kept sort of a, a bit more of a premium kind of manufacturing base. Um, so I think that's why a lot of brands um, you still use Portugal, um, and it's the same with with footwear. I mean, they, they still manufacture a lot of really good footwear in, in Portugal. Yeah. Uh, well, I guess now if you're the boss of anyone over in Portugal, you can't be sending them out of hours texts, right? <laughs> No, definitely not. <laughs> New law coming in, not allowed. To, yeah, as soon as yeah. it hits five o'clock, they're like Homer Simpson at the they're beginning out, of yeah. the uh, thing. They just chucked the plutonium <laughs> behind their shoulder and off. Yeah, Nothing so more till 9am. Um, John, talk to me a little bit about the pop-up. So we have, is the one in Crouch End the first that you've done? Uh, no, we, we've been doing pop-ups since 2019. Um, so it's sort of, we started doing the pop-ups just because the website was was quite slow and it was really hard to get people onto the website. Um, and I had done a, I did a market um, in I think March or April of 2019 and it was really good and it was just sort of a day market. And I thought, okay, well, if a market's good, let's try a, a pop-up shop. And I like the fact that, you know, we're not, 
with a pop-up shop, you're not committed to a long-term lease. It's easy to sort of trial an area. If it's good, maybe extend. If not, you know, I, okay, maybe it wasn't great, but I can just walk away from that area and think, okay, I won't do that again. So it gives me a lot of flexibility, the pop-ups. Um, and it's the way of people finding the brand that wouldn't necessarily find it. So why? If, say, I have a pop-up in Stoke Newington, um, I find that you get a lot of people coming in, people are interested, and then subsequently from that, um, online orders from those the areas and the postcodes near there, they increase as well because people have found the brand, maybe tried on something and decide they want another colour or, or they tried on something in the shop, wasn't sure, but then buy it later online. Yeah. So the online... I'm, thing is it's been really good for us and, and really from from sort of middle 2019 we've we've kept on doing pop-ups obviously the, the 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 lockdowns weren't great but what it did mean is that i wasn't committed to paying rent and, and having a shop that was having to stand empty yeah during, during the lockdowns so i could sort of just really pull back all my costs um and just focus on sort of online sales for during the lockdowns but I mean, I mean that's I mean, I've ran a, an independent clothes shop myself, and I know how much. And it it's been like in the middle of nowhere. I've talked about it on the show before. We set up a shop that was just right out in the middle of farm yet farmland out in Cambridgeshire. But I know that the shop, even though we didn't generate a whole amount of revenue within the shop, we knew it was like a great advertisement for our company and then people would go away and then buy stuff online. It was almost like a community, a virtual community around us being the nerve center yeah. in the shop. And plus you'd also have people that wouldn't maybe have the competence to go in and shop because you know, you people don't always want to go in and like talk to a shop person. They don't want to, you know, try on stuff. They might just have that intimidation of walking into a shop and interacting, especially now, now that we've all been conversing over zoom and virtually, oh, yeah. you know, that kind of human stuff is now, you know, lost in the muscle memory somewhere so i know um i know how good that can be as a like an advertising banner for you but how do you approach landlords then so do you kind of go to landlords and say look can i just have a couple of weeks here maybe a dispensation on the rate well i i use a website called appear here to book most of my pop-ups which right. is i mean it's it sort of i guess like an airbnb for for pop-up spaces and and that, so you go in and you say, right, I'm looking for a space in London for these dates and it will bring up what's available. Um, it, it's, it's not just for retail. There's pop-ups for food, like bars and restaurants. There's pop-ups where you just want a space for an event for two nights or something. Um, but the good thing about that is they've approached the landlords and you, I do the booking through the website. So they take care of all the the paperwork and all the sort of payments go through them. So it just puts it's it puts my mind at rest that I'm doing it through them and not individual landlords. Yeah. Because I have tried a lot of times when you ring landlords, they're not particularly interested in a in a short term few weeks or few months let they they go straight away to say no we only want long term tenants. And 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 a lot of them will just sort of stop you straight away the minute you say a short term they're like no we're not interested um and and as well as the the landlords sometimes the agents will just straight away go no not interested 
And I think for the agents as well, they, they're not particularly getting much out of a, a short-term let. They only get their commission for letting something for five years or, or that. So, right. so I do find that using a peer here um, is, is works very well for me. I mean, there are, there are a few other companies um, doing the same kind of thing, but, but I've used them for the last sort of two years and it works pretty well for me. And is there a minimum amount of time that you you have to be in there? Is it like a two week, right? That's your minimum. But then we can extend it once we're in there. Does it work like that? There's it, my, all the spaces vary. You get some that have a, a week minimum, some that have a month minimum. Um, so it really kind of it really depends on what the landlords agreed with with them already. But I would say most places, um, it a week to two weeks is normally their sort of minimum. Right. And when you look for these places, are you kind of looking for the, like like Stoke Newington? You say I know the I know the place has got lots of kind of parochial little shops, you know, offbeat artisan places, and that feels like a, a good place to set up as an independent because you're in good company there. Do you kind of look for those sort of places that reflect yeah, the brand? I mean, it sort of started as a bit of trial and error. I, I my first pop up was Stoke Newington which more the fact that I know it very well and I knew the space. So I thought, okay, well, that's a, that's a, a good way to trial it. But subsequently I've tried pop-ups in different areas of London, more central, more, more kind of neighborhood areas. And it's a bit of trial and error. So where like, I did one in Marlborough and I thought well, Marlborough high street, you know, it's busy. It's a traditional shopping area, but it wasn't, it wasn't very good. Um, so you really do have to try these areas because not I I'm getting a better idea now. Like I know that so say so I went to East Dulwich and I went there and I know that it's kind of a similar vibe to, to Stoke Newington, just south of the river, and that worked well for me. So you know I I've probably got a better understanding now, but I do tend to go to places that are got more independent sort of restaurants, cafes. Um, little shops and stuff like that because I feel like the brand fits in there yeah. um, and the whole sort of philosophy of, of a good neighbour is is sort of fitting in as a good neighbour to other smaller brands and other smaller um, sort of more independent a lot of I, I always think it's nice when you have when you're in an area that's got lots of sort of owner owner owned shops because there's people are really sort of passionate about what they do. So you, you get that coming across. Yeah. And they're always invested in wanting other people to do well as well, because, yeah, you know, yeah, if, if you have a high street, that's just got like half in half out, you know, butcher wrap tissue paper up on half of the shops in the windows. They know that people are not going to be coming down and having a good time on a high street that's half closed, for example. So yeah. it's in their interest to have, even if it's competition, even if there's an independent next to you, it's good that there's this vibe and community around clothes, especially yeah. so that people can come in and areas, out. All those areas, community is, is quite a big thing, which you don't find more centrally because it's just big chains generally. So yeah. you're not, you're not, if you're, if you're amongst all these big chains, there's not really a community because the people working in the shop there don't really, they don't have, they're not invested in, in the company doing well. They're just kind of paid to be there. So it makes a big difference being somewhere um, like I'm in Crouch now. It's like I'm, a, I'm surrounded by 
you know, a record shop and a really cool cafe and another little cafe and a, and a kids wear shop and that kind of thing. So it's, it's all sort of, they all feed, feed off the, the sort of the buzz from each other. Can you delegate anyone like hire other people to op- to go into other pop-up shops with your inventory? Um, are we at that stage yet? We can kind of have like several good neighbor shops on the go. Um, so at the moment I've got the one in Crouch End and then I've just opened up today a shared pop-up on Regent Street, um, huh. which is, it's, it's, it's a great initiative from Westminster Council and they've, they've taken an empty old big shop on Regent Street and divided it into six smaller shops, um, well, six smaller brands with a more independent, more sustainable angle. Um, so it's great. We sort of set up in there today and there's, there's some women's wear, there's, there's kids wear, there's some recycled kind of clothing there. There's also a, a sort of herbal teas and, and um, balms and oils kind of thing. So it's a really nice feeling. Mm. And the idea is to, to make Regent Street, which has got a lot of big brands, but make it a bit more interesting so that people walk past and see something that they weren't expecting and go in and, and there's sort of six different brands within that space. Oh, cool. Oh, excellent. Well, I have to come down and check it out. Whereabouts on Regent Street? Are it's 88 Regent Street. So sort of more the Piccadilly end. Okay. Regent Street. Interesting. Um, but yeah, it's, it's logistically, it's, it's harder to manage having two pop-ups running. Um, but I think it's it's great to have sort of something like that, which is a shared pop-up and then having my own pop-up in, in Crouch End as well. So, yeah, um, I mean, the idea is gradually to, to have more pop-ups running. Um, but it's it's for me, it's logistics of sort of finding people to run the, the pop-ups and, and that. So I'm at the moment, I've got sort of ex-colleagues I used to work with, ex-buyers and, and different people who are sort of between jobs are helping me right. with the, the pop-ups at the moment. Interesting. And you mentioned sustainability there, John. Talk about some of the, the fabric that's used in some of the clothes. Uh, I noticed there was a, a, one jacket in particular that I had my eye on used out of dead stock, out of Italian dead yeah. stock. So uh, maybe you can touch upon some of that. Yeah, so I think obviously sustainability is is a really big buzzword at the moment. And I think there's a lot of a lot of focus on it. Um, I think there's there's brands sort of saying they're sustainable without actually much much credentials behind them and i, I and i think the the is it because it's a buzzword at the moment lots of people are sort of latching onto it mm. but what we're trying to do is is make sure that the number one factor for us is our clothes are made to last so it's it's there that that you've got sort of years of wear on, on the clothes not just months but but what you just mentioned about the dead stock fabric is really interesting we're trying to to find as much product as we can, which is which is leftover fabric. So a lot of the factories we work with, they might have a roll of fabric and they've got 40 meters left of it. And it's just sitting there in the factory. They're not doing anything with it. The potential is that at some point they might have to destroy the fabric because they just can't keep um, all this fabric laying around. So oh, that's heartbreaking. The width, <laughs> so we're we're buying the fabric from them and then making product making products with it and generally it's it's normally pretty good fabric it's premium pr- f- 
fabric that's either been left over from another order or, you know, another brand has cancelled some fabric and there's 50 metres left of it. So what, what's great about using dead stock fabric is you're not actually, you're making stuff from fabric that would have gone to waste. So no new fabric is being created for the product. You're actually yeah, yeah. using stuff that's, that's laying around. So for instance, the, the jackets you're talking about, um, it's, it, it, they're all using Italian dead stock fabric. So it's, it's these, these really nice fabric mills that produce a lot of very premium, um, premium fabric have these, these fabrics left over. So I go in and say, okay, well, I like that, that, that. We buy the fabric, get it sent over to, to the UK. And actually I've got, I work with a factory in East London in Barking who produce the, the jackets there. So what's great is we're using dead stock fabric. We're making small runs of these jackets. So in some cases we're only producing sort of 20, 30 pieces of a jacket. Um, and so you're getting dead stock, you're getting made in England and oh, love it. Great, great pieces that you're not going to see sort of hundreds of people wearing, yeah. wearing, walking around. Oh, John talking my language. That's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so that's, that's, yeah, that, that, that's, I think one of the most sustainable things is using up existing fabrics. Because creating. And so, sorry started. to interrupt you. No, I'm I'm totally on board with that. I think I think that's great. And also, what is interesting when people go onto the website, they'll they'll think that they might have to pay through the nose for some of this stuff because it's made in England, because the sustainable and the independent price. But it's actually really accessible most of the prices. Uh, in fact, all of the prices, you know, even the the jumpers, merino wool, and stuff like that, you'll get for under hundred sheets. So the good neighbor shop dot com place to go. And if you're in Regent Street and also Crouch End, you know, take a look down there. John, what about the socials? Where can people find you on the social channels? So um, we're on uh, Instagram and Facebook, and both both of them are the Good Neighbor Shop as the the, the tags. Um, right. So yeah, we're we. I mean, as as every business has to be on Instagram now. So yeah, is there one that you like over the other? Um, I think Instagram's just a lot more visual. So for me, I tend to create a post for Instagram and then just do it on the same post, put it onto to Facebook. Right. Um, but yeah, Instagram is just a lot more visual and I think it's, it feels, it feels more fun to, to work with than, than Facebook. And when people message you at the, your Instagram, that's you behind it. They'll get through to you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Nice. Yes, that's that's that was a that was a learning curve actually learning how to to work on. I hadn't to be honest, I hadn't even I didn't have an Instagram profile before I started the brand. Ah, uh-huh. um, okay. So it was like right, okay. Now I've got to learn how to how to do social as well. But, well, actually, do you know what though? I found that when I was running my shopper. Sorry to go back to that, but I actually found that uh, really interesting because you know I knew I had this new opportunity to leverage traffic and eyeballs over to my site so it was a lot you know rather than going into something that i knew like personally and then thought right how do i make a business out of this channel i kind of started on with the business head as it were going into instagram um and then you know basically muscled everybody into trying to come and look at what i was doing so it was a yeah it was it was interesting but good to know that there are these avenues out there that you can use and exploit in a way yeah i mean i mean before social media i mean you really 
it was how do you get the name out to, to people? Text. Uh, it was, yeah. Where, Every time they would come now, into the shop, it, it was a name and a number. And then it was a Saturday text, group text out on every weekend. Yeah. And now you've got a very visual platform to sort of put images of everything you're doing and, and get, a, again, sort of form a, a bit of an online community and, and, and that. So, so yeah, I think without that, it would be very difficult. So for all the for all the the things that might not be great about social media, there are there are some there are positives as well. <laughs> would you consider doing anything else like YouTube channels or tutorials? Maybe maybe even a podcast studio promoting everything. I don't know. I, I think for me, because I'm doing everything on my own at the moment, it's it's sort of just finding the time to to do everything. So. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I would probably consider lots of things yeah. if I had the time to do it. And sometimes once you've done something once, you go, okay, that wasn't that difficult. And I, I'll i go into it a bit more. Yeah. But I think at the moment with sort of two pop-ups running, planning for spring, all that kind of thing, it, it's doing the socials. It sort of takes takes quite a bit of my day up. Well, thank you for your time, John for taking time yeah, out to come no on the podcast, knowing how busy you are. I uh, feel guilty all of a sudden. Uh, no, <laughs> anyway, it's, been, it's been uh, good to get to know you and get to know the brand. And once again, thegoodneighborshop.com. We'll put all the links over on the show notes so people can find out um, exactly how to find you. But in the meantime, take care of yourself. Thanks, John. Great. Thanks a lot. Nice to speak to you. You've been listening to the Menswear Style podcast. Be sure to head over to menswearstyle.co.uk for more menswear content and email info at menswearstyle.co.uk if you'd like to be a future guest on the show. Finally, please help support the show by leaving a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening to this podcast. Until next time.